Over a decade ago, Juno Diaz made a remarkable debut as a writer with a short story collection entitled Drown. The Observer said of it, Writing this good comes along if we're lucky once or twice in a generation. Fans of Diaz's writing have had a long wait for his first novel, but their patience has been amply rewarded with the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde, the linguistically dazzling Pulitzer Prize-winning story of three generations of a Dominican family and their country's dark history. When I met Juno, I wanted to know more about his choice of epigraphs for his novel. The first comes from the Fantastic Four comic books, of what import are brief, nameless lives to Galactus. The second, a quotation from Derek Walcott, ends, either I'm nobody or I'm a nation. Part of it is, you you know, there's just at the level you like them, mm. you know, but of course one likes lots of things. Um, one of the resonance that the Walcott had for me that I felt that in some ways this book was as much a Caribbean book as it was an American and a Dominican book. And I felt that Walcott has pushed very deeply into what means, you know, what does the mm. Caribbean mean and what does it mean to be from a place mm. as shattered as the Caribbean in some ways and as steeped both in amnesia and in tremendous history. But one of the things I really liked about the quote specifically, the one, the part that you uh, mentioned, is that in some ways the book kind of argues, um, or I, I thought the book would argue, both for the idea that either Oscar or even perhaps the narrator mm. or perhaps even the writer, either I'm nobody or I'm a nation, but in some ways it could argue the opposite. that the Not the opposite, but like it argues sort of a parallel line, which is that um, one person could be a nation, mm. you know? And that in some ways the book is sort of, you know, it's sort of like a real individual's point of view, mm. and yet its connection to a larger group is is unmistakable in some ways, yeah. indivisible. And I like the way those two ideas worked. And the Galactus reference, you know, I mean, you know how readers are, especially when you're going to take you're going to take people across a number of lives. Mm. What I wanted sort of to hint at was that all of us sort of make uh, economies of worth in our head. So while Galactus, you know, this evil villain, super alien god from the Marvel comics is like, well, all brief nameless lives are unimportant to me. Mm. I think that there's a danger for some readers to be like, well, I like one of these characters. You know, I like the junior part or I like the Oscar Mm. part, but I don't like the Abelard part. And sort of it's an argument and it's sort of a warning hmm. that this isn't about choosing, you know, That's this favorite. is about, yeah, hmm. this is about you can't understand any of these people unless they come together. Because you think at the beginning of the book that it's going to be this, the story of a young immigrant coming of age confronting American culture. But as the book goes on, the story expands backwards. So you get the story of his mother in the Dominican Republic, and then you get the story of his grandparents. So it's always sort of expanding outwards. And those those, those res- the sort of ripples are getting bigger. Yeah. It's, you know, the structure of it was one of the things that drove me most crazy, but one of the things that I was most interested in. I wanted a story that the, you know, the deeper into Oscar's life we push, in fact, the... The, the sort of more present his history becomes mm. and it's a history that what's interesting it's a history that he's completely unaware of and never becomes aware of yes in a way the only person who gets to assemble all the pieces is the reader 
Although the narrator, who's, who's his, his college friend, Junior, at the end has this great sort of archive of mm. Oscar material. He's, he's, he's become the sort of custodian, and he is the one who tries to put at least some of the story together. Sure, no, he's, you know, the, the joke he calls his reference, The Watcher. Uh, and then, of course, the Marvel comics, the, the, the also that, uh, that opening quote, you know, who, the wa- who Galactus mm. is saying that mm. to is actually to the Watcher. Mm. It's a conversation these two are having yes. between nameless lives and the Watcher says every life is valuable. And, and definitely Junior is an analog for the reader. But I think that on the deepest level, even Junior can't make the final step that a reader can. A reader has to put this book together what Junior keeps arguing for what he says at the end is that he's assembled this so that Lola's daughter Isis will come and put the pieces together and add the final piece yes and Lola is Oscar's sister yes and Junior and Lola have had a relationship which Mm -hmm. has not worked out yes and she's the final survivor you know um, of the family curse and has a daughter and I always think that the analog for the reader is Isis in some ways, this mm. little girl who scratches her butt against everything, yes. you know, because there is a piece that alludes not just the historical absences, the mm. silences that Junior can't achieve, there's also a lack of self-awareness that escapes Junior. And the only person who can really kind of get that is a reader. The only person who can add the final piece is a yeah. reader. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that the reader sort of making sense because it's, it's a platitude, I suppose, to say that the book is about words, but there's a great deal about the power of words in this book, be they curses or spells or charms or writing. I mean, it, sort of going back over the book and thinking about the fact that Oscar himself wants to be, wants to be a great writer. He wants to be a Dominican Tolkien or a Dominican Joyce. You know, he's got writerly ambitions. And his grandfather is also a writer whose writings have disappeared. And there are you refer to paginas and blank or white pages in the book, you know, things which can't be said or can't be written down. And it seemed the power of words and also the sort of silences are, are particularly important in this book. Yeah, no, I think that it's it's the only thing that we have to fight the absences, the lacuna, the aporia, you know. It's that, in a way, our ability to construct narrative, that's all we have. I mean things truly disappear in this world beyond just the bromides of you know childhood Mm. you know stuff really disappears and it disappears forever and the only way that we can begin to approach some of these enormous gaps not only in our personal lives and our you know senses of who we are but also in the world and history is through narratives through the imagination I mean, I think it was, uh, I can't remember where that article was, but it was an article where um, Henry Louis Gates said that, you know, sometimes a wrong story is better than no, an incorrect story is better than no story at all, especially when you're talking about a people who've had 90% of their histories wiped out. And if you think about it, what person isn't that person? Most of us have very little access to our history, whether it's through larger historical tragedies or through the kind of quotidian... Mm. You know, anesthetic of contemporary life that detaches us from the larger flow of our mm. ancestry. And how much, I mean, one of the things that I really got from the book was a, a much better understanding of Dominican history, which I confess I didn't know very much about. And you say, I think almost on page two, you say, you know, if you missed your two seconds of Dominican history, I'm going to tell you some things about it. 
to, to, what, to what extent did you want to to help readers to understand the some of the terrible things that happened in 20th century Dominican history through the events in the book? I was more interested in getting people. The Dominican Republic was just a was just a, a means to an end. Mm. What I was interested in is to sort of get the world to understand. I felt like the Dominican Republic was standing in for the new world, like how the new world was forged, what we call the Americas, mm. you know, and it's ultimate, at least to this, from this perspective, the, you know, sort of the ultimate, the apotheosis of the new world, America, the mm. United States, like how this began. America, the United States, what we call the contemporary world doesn't make sense without the knowledge that the Caribbean bears on its back and its silences. And part of what allows us to sort of move through the contemporary world is not knowing anything about how the contemporary world was born. I mean, the craziest thing is that we have a, they call those what, creation myths. Our contemporary world has no creation myth. There's just this empty crater yes. of memory called the New World. And in some places it's the Caribbean, in some places it's Guatemala, in some places it's Brazil. You know, it's it's not so much uh, a space as it's time, space, people. My idea was that I was very interested, this was an American project, and that I was just using the Dominican Republic as an example of, you know, the joke, of course, among, you know, sort of historians is that the American eagle was born from the Dominican egg, but you would never know mm. it from looking at the eagle that had ever sprung mm. from this ruined, shattered, you know, fragmentary sort of uh, detritus. And yet one cannot understand one without the other. Accepting what you say that there was a degree of contingency in, in, in choosing the Dominican Republic, nonetheless, it does provide you with some amazingly powerful material. Certainly. Know, the, the dictatorship of Trujillo is astonishing in its in its atrocity and its absurdity and it's you know it's unbelievable in many ways well certainly but i but i feel and i know this is kind of kooky and yes i think that it, it can be salutary you know it's sort of like edifying you know it's, to mm. learn about chapters of any history are like wonderful but again i just i really feel very strongly that what on closer examination what is revealed and what this book constantly argues about the masks that all these different characters wear, how they all are revealed to be something else behind these masks, mm. is that if you remove the mask of, I mean, it's really messed up. If you remove the mask of Trujillo, what you find is the United States. If you remove the mask of the United States, what you find is Trujillo. Mm. And I guess my thing is, yes, at one hand, I did explore, and it was wonderful material, the history of the Dominican Republic, but that was actually meant to focus the eye on what we mean when we talk about the Americas. You know, that it's, it's kind of a tricky thing because in the end, it's so much easier just to focus on the Trujillato and say, oh wow, this was just this bizarre chapter in history, but the Americas is not like that. And science, science fiction, what, what part did science fiction play in your own formative years as a, as a reader and writer? Oh, I was one of those kids who I would fall in love hard with whatever I was interested mm. in. And when I was an uh, early teenager, like 11 or 12, I fell in love with science fiction. It was an insane love affair and fantasy as well. And so for like a number of years, like 11 through about 15, it was, it was, 
everything that I was interested in at a literary level. But, you know, I read so much other stuff, too. What moved me about genre narratives was that they were openly and explicitly dealing with the darker corners of the human experience. In other words, while we might not know anything that's happening in the Dominican Republic, or we might not have any concrete knowledge about how the new world was formed, all that secret history has found expression in the tropes of genres. So breeding of people, the enslaving of people, dictatorships, mind control, bodies being torn to pieces and then being reassembled again. It's really, really interesting. A lot of critics yes. argue that, you know, the, that the Enlightenment sort of eliminated the imaginary underworld and then it had to find had expression. To it had to find expression <clears throat> in the genres. Mm. And for me, the genres were useful because they allowed me to both to exercise my love of them, you know, to express my love of them, but also they were great, great, great lenses through which to view the history of the Dominican Republic, which is so extreme that in some ways, I mean, for God's sake, you know, the contact of of, of alien races, the first time that ever occurred was in the Caribbean. Mm. And that's how it's understood. So mm. I find that th th these things to be much closer to have a kinship. Yes. And you, your narrator, Junior, says that Troilio couldn't even have been created by a sci-fi writer because he's just so... <laughs> such an appalling, atrocious person. He sort of goes beyond even the wildest imaginings of those things which find their way into sci-fi. Well, certainly, you know, in sci-fi, your incredibly menacing villain can't be equally absurd. You know, it's like Darth Vader can't be, like, absurd. You know, that's the one thing about genres. Mm. Genres, you know. And I think that that's, for me, Trujillo's such a bizarre character because he's so incredibly... He's far more evil than anybody. And yet he also has these aspects of him that mm. are so utterly human. You just... Shake your head aghast. Mm. Trinity Diaz, thank you very much. Thank you.